You're listening to a Chicago Sports Nation production, enhancing your Chicago sports fan experience. Well, come on, baby, don't you wanna go? Well, come on, baby, don't you wanna go? Back to the same old place, sweet home, Chicago. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Shy Sox Weekly. This is our debut episode presented to you by White Sox Nation. I am John Suarez, along with my partner, Tony Marchese. Hey, everybody. Um, Before we get into uh, spring training and everything, we're going to talk to you guys about some spring training stuff today. We're also going to get into uh, some opening day predictions and other stuff like that. Uh, we kind of want to introduce ourselves a little bit. So, uh, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, why you're a White Sox fan or maybe like your favorite Sox memory? Well, I've been a White Sox fan since as long as I can remember. Probably have to give the most credit to one of my uncles and my godfather for taking me down to Comiskey Park all the time when I was a kid. The first game I ever saw, I got to see the Sox play the Seattle Mariners back in the 90s. Ever since then, I was hooked, man. You know, going through high school, watching the Sox win the World Series, probably one of my best memories. I've seen a lot of cool stuff over the course of 20 years of watching White Sox baseball. Man, I can't even think of what my favorite memory would be. So give me a minute. I'm going to pass it over to you. No, yeah, that's cool. Um, so to give you guys a little bit of an understanding, Tony's a bit older than me. I'm actually only 21 years old, so I've been a White Sox fan for probably about close to 15 years. I was probably about six, seven years old. Uh, I was actually in elementary school <laughs> when the White Sox won the World Series in 2005, so I'm a bit younger there. But uh, I know my favorite memory um, for the White Sox. Um, I actually have two that I'm going to link in there. In uh, 2008, when the White Sox tied for the Central Division and they had the blackout game, uh, that home game against the Twins, I actually went there with my stepdad. My mom called me out of school. And um, that was always cool to brag to your friends, like, hey, I'm going to basically a playoff game. It was the 163rd regular season game, so that was awesome. And I also actually went to Mark Burley's no-hitter. Not his perfect game, not the one that Dwayne Wise uh, made that amazing catch in, but his no-hitter against the Texas Rangers, I want to say it was in, like, 07 or something like that. I don't remember exactly. I'll give you, but, a, cool, I'll give you a cool game. I was at Dion Vicieto's first home run that he hit in the White Sox uniform, and I thought that oh, guy was going to be a monster. Let's not bring Dion Vicieto into the first five minutes of our podcast because that is how you lose <laughs> listeners. No, that's honestly, honestly, that's pretty neat though. I, I actually, uh, I have one more that I'm going to throw in there. I went for my birthday. I went. It was uh, three years ago. It was Carlos Rodon's rookie season. I want to say it was like his fifth or sixth start. It was crazy. He was going up against Dallas Keuchel, June 9th. Look it up. It was like June 9th, 2014. Uh, Rodon went like six, seven innings strong. I think he gave up like maybe one earn. And uh, the White Sox ended up winning. Dallas Keuchel won the Cy Young that year. And he had like three total losses. And that was one of them. So rookie Carlos Rodon. Well, can we bring up the fact that we need to be uh, Dallas Keuchel fans right now after yeah. the comments that he made? <laughs> about the Cubs and how the Astros definitely are not the Cubs. Keiko guy. Definitely a Keiko guy after he said that they're not the Cubs with the hangover. Well, but, Dallas Keiko, you are welcome on the south side of Chicago anytime. I just want to put that out there. 
That was also uh, Carlos Correa had his first career home run in that game. Off Jeez. like Zach Beaver, Dan Jennings or something. Oh, right, yeah. Cool. Enough of that. Um, let's get into some spring training. I know you got a couple things that you want to bring up. So, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I want to bring up about spring training is Eloy Jimenez. That guy is an absolute monster and is going to just absolutely crush baseballs out of guaranteed rate. Uh, if anybody did not watch him come in for that pinch hit ninth inning home run against the Cubs, you need to go back. You need to look up that footage and you need to watch it. He absolutely demolished that ball comes out the next day, rips a triple on a bad knee and smacks another home run. This guy's going to be a fan favorite, absolute stud. He is going to be the white Sox best player sitting in the middle of the lineup for years to come. Very exciting stuff. Uh, the other thing I want to get into is Lucas Giolito. That guy is also going to be a stud on the south side. He looks strong so far this spring. Uh, John, you have any comments on that? Yeah, no, honestly. So the uh, I'm going to touch on Jimenez first. Uh, the awesome thing about his first home run was not only that it was against the Cubs and he essentially begged Rick Renteria to put him in the game because he actually wasn't supposed to play again until that next game. I believe it was against the Reds or the Diamondbacks that he hit that other home run. But the cool thing about that home run was he was literally like that was all upper body power. He hit it opposite field and just sent that baseball. Exactly. Which is his, really his, his second home run was also opposite field, too. That's yeah. pretty encouraging yeah. from uh, somebody who's been pretty much on the shelf most of spring training. Yeah, I want to say his uh, batting average is like pretty sexy. It's like 560 or something like that, but it's in like 14 plate appearances. But anyways, uh, Giolito also, you know, we kind of got a taste of him last year, and he didn't really get decisions because we didn't have the offense to back him. But if you look it up, his strike-to-walkout ratio was pretty nice for a rookie. Well, not essentially a rookie because he pitched for the Nationals a little bit the year before. But his ERA was under three mm-hmm. for more than five starts. That's pretty solid. Well, uh, I mean, in the spring so far this year, three games started. He's one and zero. Eleven and eleven point one innings pitched. Uh, he's given up only nine hits, four earned runs. He, he has given up two dingers, uh, but he struck out thirteen batters. That's pretty encouraging for someone who you know has been tossed around a little bit while he was with the Nationals. He did have a little bit of a struggle when he came up last year, uh, but he does show a lot of promise. I think he's definitely going to be a number two, number three guy for the Sox going forward. It's nice because you don't need him to be the ace. You don't. And you know that he's going to be solid for years to come. So that's always nice to have. Um, I think you said like 11 strikeouts or something, 13 strikeouts in 11 innings. That's pretty productive. Yeah, but you'd like to see that number go up a little bit more. Uh, the average, I'd like to see an average probably around like eight or so per nine, I think would probably be pretty nice for a guy that you want as like your two or three. Um, <clears throat> my surprises for spring training so far have got to be that Matt Davidson isn't also mashing baseballs. He's getting on base. Matt Davidson is hitting above 300 right now. And I'm pretty sure he has the most, uh, plate appearances for everybody on the White Sox in spring training. Well, I touched also, on this. I, I touched on him in one of my blogs. Uh, he needs to improve that strikeout rate. If he keeps striking oh, out at that okay. rate, we've got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. He has uh, 16 RBIs and I want to say like 12 or 11 strikeouts. So 
that's pretty nice. But you got to get the strikeout rate to go down. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about has got to be the relief pitching. So not a lot of people talk about relief pitching, which is basically what all of spring training is, is relief pitching. So half of the relief pitching is actually like starting pitching. But still, the White Sox have actually looked pretty nice in uh, games. Not always, but like the guys that are going to play, like that are going to make the opening day roster have looked real nice. One that I want to talk about is actually going to be Chris Volstead. He's pitched like 11 innings and he's only given up one hit all spring. Very impressive. Great. Very impressive. Also, um, we got uh, Jean-Marc Gomez of the Tigers, and I didn't really know too much about him. Still don't know too much about him. I probably just mispronounced his name, to be honest. <laughs> Not even going to lie. But I know that he started off the spring pretty nice, and we're hoping that maybe he breaks camp and is one of those surprise guys that you kind of see come opening day maybe you're not going to really know much about him you see gomez out there and you're like hey he's gomez so all right let's let's talk about some bad let's talk about some absolute terrible baseball and let's talk about carson fulmer yeah i was going to say you're only talking about carson fulmer right i'm only talking about carson fulmer and i know you've got a i know you've got a lot to talk about carson fulmer because you wrote an excellent blog post talking about carson fulmer and yeah, I, I want to hear your feelings apart. See, I think the neat thing about that is that I actually went in and like got the details and like really went and like, I made you think that we could have gotten like an absolute all-star center fielder instead of Carson Fulmer. Like it's always nice to go look back at a draft. You maybe don't notice that when you're watching the draft live, but Carson Fulmer got basically sandwiched between two future all-star outcomes in that draft. And right now he has nothing to show for it. Um, he got absolutely lit up in his last, I'm laughing because it was, it was laughable. He got lit up in his last uh, spring training appearance. He gave up uh, seven earned runs in like an inning in the third or one and two thirds. And three of them were bombs. Like it, it just wasn't a pretty line. Carson Fulmer really needs to shape up soon because He's going to start using up all those minor year or minor league player options. He's going to, we're going to have to start paying him big league money every year. And I don't think the Sox want to pay this guy. Big league money. Well, let's just look at the spring training stats. Oh, and four. I know wins and losses don't exactly equate all the time, but he's earned every single one of his losses so far. He's got an 18.9 ERA in four <laughs> games, uh, 6.2 innings pitched. He's given up 18 hits, 17 runs. 14 of those are earned and he's gotten taken deep seven times. That's just plain bad. Uh, 17 runs in uh, six innings pitch reminds me of like when in bench warmers, they make those kids go in and play. They let the actual bench warmers go play in that last game. And they're just getting lit up by like 30 in the second inning. Mm -hmm. And so let's just take that a step further. Does Carson Fulmer make the rotation uh, out of spring training? I'm God, saying no. no. I'm saying no. no. Um, not with not with Hector Santiago. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about how good Hector Santiago's been, not only as a teammate, the spring training, but also on the mound. He's looked pretty good. Uh, I don't have his stats at hand, but uh, he's outpitched Carson Fulmer. It's, it's really not that hard to outpitch Carson Fulmer at this time. He needs to be back in AAA, AA, somewhere not on the south side. And, they, and in my opinion, he needs to be reworked and go to the bullpen. He needs time. Okay, so what he needs is he needs time. 
but he needs some time with Don Cooper. He needs more time with Don. And um, I think the thing is, is I'm, I'm pulling up Hector Santiago stats right now, by the way, and they look real nice. He has a .90 ERA and 10 innings pitch. But uh, the thing is with Carson is he's a first-round pick, and he was, I want to say, the first one that Han basically had the full say over. Maybe the guy, maybe Rodan was Han's first guy, but I'm not 100% positive on that. But that was right around when Rick started to take over. So you want to see every move that you make pan out, especially the ones at the beginning. So it's more so a thing where if it doesn't work out, Rick Hahn's probably going to beat himself up a little bit about it. Well, I, I, I also think Rick Hahn has also made some questionable decisions. And I, I, I think we'll touch on this in, in further podcasts. But, uh, you know, Rick Hahn gets a lot of praise for a lot of the moves he makes. Uh, you know, bringing in Yon Mankata, bringing in guys like Kopech. We can go on and on and on about the list. But there also have been some questionable decisions. And I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Uh, he's also made some bad ones. The James Shields trade. Uh, I, I wrote a blog post about that. That he got fleeced, in my opinion. When it hey, comes that's to our it. guy, that's our opening day guy. Well, you know what? He does anybody actually want him to be the opening day guy? Are, are you comfortable with James Shields being the ace of the you know 2018 Chicago White Sox? Is, is, is James not, Shields really I'm deserving of that, or is it more of just a veteran presence in the front of the rotation, a guy that's going to eat innings uh, for you? Yeah, every rebuilding club absolutely needs somebody who's going to. You know, eat innings for him, give up some losses. But, you know, what what, do, what are you expecting out of this year? I mean, that that's a whole nother discussion. I'm expecting James Shields to go out, give me 150-plus innings, and just get absolutely rocked every single time that he's out on the baseball field. Um, I'm excited to just watch opening day and see if maybe he can shut people up. You know, you never know. He has had a couple of good outings in a Sox uniform. It's not like he goes out and gets absolutely blown up every time. But there's been times where he goes out and he can't even get an out. So that's very true. But uh, at that rate, would you rather have John Danks or James Shields? Hot take. <laughs> that was a flaming hot take. John Danks pre-surgery was my guy. He was the one that pitched in the tiebreaker game, I think, wasn't he? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But could theoretically John Danks could serve the same role as James Shields. We DFA John we we DFA John Danks to go get James Shields and give up a top ten prospect. Yeah, that was that was just ridiculous. You actually make a really good point right there. But the thing is, is if we DFA James Shields this year, like if we designate him for his assignment this year, we're going to owe him a hell of a lot more money than if we just keep him on the major league roster for a year that we're really not even like trying for the postseason. If we make it, that'd be awesome. But like Rick Hahn is sticking by his plan and he doesn't care if he wins or loses baseball games. All he cares is that these young guys get better. So James Shields being on the roster isn't really that big of an issue. I think the thing is, is just James Shields money that we owe which is a lot. It's somewhere in the like 20 something million this year. Whereas next year, if we like, I think if we designated him next year, we would only owe him a couple million. So it's a huge difference. And that money could definitely go into the free agency signing next year where the pool is just absolutely loaded. You know, the Sox are already linked to Machado this off season. And there's just plenty more to go. 
Well, we'll so. absolutely get into free agent signings and and what the what the long term outlook is here. I just like to I just like to dig in a little bit and get on the case of you know you know what we did with Derek Holland. I'd rather have Derek Holland out there than James Shields. I'd rather have Matt Latos out there than than James Shields. I'd rather have John Danks out there than James Shields because if it wasn't for James Shields, we'd still have uh, Fernando Tatis. And uh, well, I mean the way the move. way the, the way you're talking, it sounds like you would rather have Carson Fulmer out there than James Shields because if you want anybody to eat innings, then you might as well just give Carson the innings. Well, so I, 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 I disagree with that. I want Carson Fulmer in the bullpen. I want Carson Fulmer to go back down to the minor leagues, rework himself, get himself psyched up, and start closing ball games. Uh, yeah. We we definitely need somebody over the next few years to close some ball games, and if not close, be a setup guy. Carson Fulmer has that kind of makeup. Carson's you know a high intensity guy. He's got some absolutely wipeout stuff. If he got on it, I, I'm pretty sure he would be able to go through the minor leagues, get himself all prepped up to be a outstanding relief pitcher. I just don't think he has the makeup to be a starter. I think that guy gets a little bit nervous when he's faced with multiple innings. Starting ball games, I don't think is Carson Fulmer's gig in the major leagues. We got to salvage something out of that first round draft pick. If anything, I think Carson Fulmer needs to go back, become a reliever, get showcased up in the major league level, and then flip for something uh, that's going to be a viable piece to a World Series contending White Sox club. Right now, Putting him in the rotation opening, you know, the season is not going to help him, especially if he's just giving up bombs. James Shields is already there to give up bombs. We've got Giolito, Lopez, Miguel Gonzalez is just filling a role at this point. We don't need another guy filling a role. We know Kopech's going to come up at some point. He's going to bump somebody out. I'd rather him bump out, you know, Miguel Gonzalez or, or James Shields than, than Carson Fulmer. So uh, you brought up hot takes earlier. Um, I actually have a pretty decent hot take. I actually think the Sox are going to start right around the 500 mark in the first month. And hear me out on it. They have six away, six on the road, where they play the Royals and then the Blue Jays. And then they come home where they play the Tigers and the Astros. And then they go back on the road for another six and back home for another six. And if you can literally just split... Just like, you know, win the win the home games that you're supposed to, you know, kind of make splits, you know, win four out of two, three out of three here and there. That's going to be right around the time that you can call up Kopech without losing that year, that you can call up Jimenez without losing that year. So it's really going to look interesting how it plays out once it gets through that month. Um, I'm kind of a schedule geek. I always look at the schedule and kind of dissect it and, you know, most people, when they give like a season prediction, it's just like some, not somewhat uneducated, but they just kind of go based off of like, oh, how many games they win last year, you know, who's in their division this year. You know, you really got to look at like who's on their schedule a ton, when are you playing them, like stuff like that. I don't really know what the Sox are going to do entirely this year. I haven't really dissected the whole schedule. I really just kind of looked at the first little bit to like about the All-Star break, but by the next podcast, I'll probably have a season prediction on what I think their record and everything is going to be. Well, if we go back and take a look at what they finished the year with, 
uh, it looked like 15 and 15 with all of the prospects who were making they had, impacts. So they had a great, they freaking swept the Astros. They swept I, the Astros at the end of the year. Yep. I, and I, I don't think it's inconceivable. I, I don't, I don't think that that's actually a hot take in my opinion, because I think it's perfectly conceivable that you can go out of the gate 15, 15 or 20 and 20, even 21 and 20, you know, above 500 in your first 41 games. I don't think that's inconceivable for this White Sox club. The problem is, is when we go back and we start looking at, okay, well, we've got James Shields just wasting ball games. That's not something that you want. If, if your club can actually potentially compete, I'd like to see them actually compete. Having guys like James Shields and Carson Fulmer in the rotation are only going to hinder that. If we could set ourselves up for a wild card spot, I think that would be better for the development of young guys like Mancada, you know, Kopech when he comes up, Giolito, to have them in a playoff race. That's going to build bonds amongst these guys rather than losing ball games. I mean, we want to set a winning attitude on the south side. That's what's that's what's going to do it. Rather than having yeah. guys just out there, you know, getting shelled. I don't want Makata sitting there just watching baseballs fly out of the stadium. I don't want, you know, Tim Anderson watching baseballs fly out of the stadium. That's not good for them. You know, winning yeah. baseball games for them is what's going to mold them into, you know, the next you know, annual co- competitive team. We want them, you know, around a winning atmosphere. So, you know, that's my argument about having James Shields in the rotation, having guys like Carson Fulmer up right now. You know, he's not ready. You can't rush the first round guy just because, you know, his timeline says he should be up right now. If he's getting absolutely killed every time he goes out there, there's plenty of other options than Carson Fulmer. There's plenty of other options than James Shields. I know the money's a factor. I know that you can come back and say, you know, we don't want to have to owe him a ton of money. Put James Shields in the bullpen and just never throw him. Who the heck cares? Just make sure that we can win ball games. I mean, the, the, we shouldn't be in tank mode at this point in time of the rebuild. We proved it at the end of the last, at the end of the last season. We can go 500. If you're around 500 for most of the year, you're in contention for a wild card spot. A few good wins uh, that you can sweep, you know, sneak out at some point. You know, puts you right in contention. Um, that's without getting into what the other clubs look like uh, in the division or even in the AL overall. But, you know, throwing James Shields out there, you know, just not a good look. Yeah, so you had mentioned back about uh, the young guys, you know, having to build chemistry and kind of having to build this camaraderie between them. And I think what's interesting is I don't don't know if you're like the biggest social media guy, but um, the White Sox this spring have been um, giving each of their players – like a day. So like, uh, I think yesterday was like Kevin Smith's day and they like put their nickname and like the, even the white Sox Twitter is all in on this and they'll put like hashtag so-and-so day. And like the other day it was hashtag Avi day for Avisel Garcia. And he ripped like a, uh, basis clearing double, like a two RBI double and made this like ridiculous diving catch. So like it, it hypes these guys up, it builds them up. You know, I'm, I'm big on the prospects. I follow all the prospects on social media. I'm hoping to kind of 
reach out to some of them and maybe get some of his guests in the future here on the podcast. But the thing is, is I think it's really cool that, I mean, also it can kind of like maybe break them in the end because social media is not really what you want to be doing when you're winning baseball games. But I think it's cool to build that chemistry because right now it doesn't really matter. It's connecting them because they're not all with each other. There's guys that got sent down to double A camp. There's guys that got sent down and this still connects them. And I'm hoping that they do it when the season continues. And I hope that it continues to connect them until these guys are up. Absolutely. I, I think the social media, uh, you know, connection that they build with the fans only strengthens, you know, the, the future of the White Sox. Uh, that's something that, you know, you don't see out there um, very much. I think that the Rockies, I don't know if you follow the Rockies Twitter account, they've got an awesome social media following. They've got an awesome, uh, you know, Twitter. Really? They've got awesome uh, Facebook stuff that goes on out there. Uh, I'd like to see the Sox start to do that too. Uh, and this is the, the first that I've seen of it. Not that last year was bad or anything, but, you know, seeing all these days for each player, you know, and, and then building bonds and, and joking around like that. I think it's really cool. Um, got to be trendsetters. You got to start something. You know, they're, they're trying to do something that nobody's done. Exactly. I mean, not with the rebuild. Obviously, people have done that. They modeled it off other teams. But they're trying to they're trying to get their own swag from it, their own mojo, and make it their own. They are. And you see these guys engaging. And, that, and that's encouraging long term. It, it's very encouraging. You see the availability that some of these guys put out there for for podcasts and the media and, and, and engaging with fans on social media, taking pictures, signing autographs. Um, I was at the the Moncada call up game last year, and you saw him out there before the game, you know, taking pictures with fans and and really getting into it. And I, I think that's good for the ball club. That's good to build future fans. Um, there's. They're all in. They're all yep. in and they're back in. And I think it's awesome because that'll be that'll be really a key factor come free agency signing. It's, I mean, it's Chicago. It's a beautiful city. People are going to want to come here and play baseball in the, in the summer. But are they going to want to go to the other side of Chicago? We're trying to get it so that people want to come here. Absolutely. And that's always been, I think, a big problem for the White Sox. They've never really made that splash in free agency and that's i think the one thing that you know we've set ourselves up for if you look at the numbers and you look at the salary and you look at what we've been paying people versus other clubs we're in a big market uh the cubs obviously have a you know giant you know fan base they have you know wrigley field and the aura around it the Sox don't have the type of following that the Cubs do. And the thing with the Sox and their spending is they give the money to the wrong guys. You know, you name me your couple favorite Sox guys out of the last couple years, and, like, a majority of them were underpaid. Chris Sale, one of the best contracts in baseball. You know, Absolutely. And have Tim Anderson on one of those, like, a very similar type contract. You know, they give their – they're key guys. They don't give them that much money. You know, like John Banks got all that money. Adam Dunn had crazy contract, like LaRoche. You know, they sign on these guys that they don't pan out to anything. And Todd Frazier, like, they just strike out and hit home runs. 
Well, I think I'd like to attribute that to Kenny Williams. I'm not sure if that's actually the case, but I'd like to attribute that to all Kenny Williams. And I'd like to give at least Rick Hahn the benefit of the doubt here and say, we're not going to go signing older pastor prime, you know, ball players who, you know, are on their last tour, you know, ridiculous amounts of money to come just play in Chicago for a Jersey sale or two. That's no, not that's what we're about I'm anymore. Like where their money has been as of late, like where, like basically why they don't have the money that they should. Now they're starting to get their payroll back, but like they owed money out for ridiculous. Like I'm pretty sure Diane Vissiato was still getting paid by the Sox last year. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Diane Vissiato obviously is my guy. Uh, I saw his first home run. Uh, I'll mention that almost every podcast. Uh, Diad Viciedo, I think he's over in Japan now, isn't he? Uh, he plays in like Tokyo or something. I don't know. We don't know. All right, moving on. Uh, I actually, you know, you had said that they're kind of at the point of the rebuild where they, you know, they should kind of be done trying to rebuild and they should start trying to win now. Um, if they don't start winning, I think a couple people go you know, at the deadline before the deadline, uh, who would you think would be the first person that you would see go? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a few different people here. I think Nikki Delmonico is actually very flippable. I don't know what his long-term plan is here with the, or what the white Sox long-term plan with Nikki Delmonico is obviously he's a fan favorite. Obviously he's a prospect, but the guy can hit, uh, he's one of those guys who's still young enough that he should be able to help somebody out somewhat long-term, maybe on a bench roll. Uh, but if the Sox are, you know, below 500, it's the trade deadline. Somebody wants somebody intriguing. I think Nicky Delmonico is one of those kind of guys that you can just flip for something, uh, you know, maybe low level lottery ticket. I can see him going. When you look at that outfield that the Sox have right now, and some of the prospects coming up, I think it's a little bit crowded. Uh, you obviously have Eloy Jimenez coming up. Avi's there. Avi's obviously movable, but he's still there. He had a breakout season last year. Uh, he could be long-term. Uh, I think he's a good power hitter right in the middle of the order. Shows a little bit of speed. He could you know, be a veteran presence in that lineup when the Sox are, are competing. Uh, but like I said, he's movable. And then you obviously have Luis Robert, uh, who's down there just you know, still too young to come up. I think he's got a lot of development left, but... You know, the dude's already crushing Grand Slams in, in Major League Spring training. So, it, you know, looks like a clutch guy. He's going to be here for a while. Uh, you've got Eloy and Robert. I mean, there's two spots right there. We haven't even gotten into Rutherford. Adam Engels had an excellent spring. If that guy can hit, uh, he's already one of the best defensive center fielders in the game of baseball. you got to give him a shot to ride that out. You've got guys like Ryan Cordell, Blake Rutherford, who are still down there. Um, you know, Luis Basabe, those guys are all outfield prospects that, you know, we need to give a chance to play. So, you know, Nicky Delmonico seems like a kind of guy that you could flip. Um, so I, yeah. I would think that he's one of those guys who, you know, unfortunately, as much as the fans like him, uh, he's one of those guys that you can kind of move for, I don't know, just a lottery ticket piece. I mean, it's not a big name trade. It's not going to make waves, you know, across the national media, but, uh, I think Nicky Delmonico is the kind of guy, like I said, very movable. 
He I'll could get, over we to could you. get one of those uh, trades like uh, like the Swarzak trade that got us Ryan Cordell or something like that. Absolutely. But I get what you're saying right there. I also think, you know, I'm going to go with a little sleeper outfield guy. I think uh, Larry Garcia is pretty movable. Um, he'd probably have to go in a package deal. I'm thinking that um, Larry Garcia and um, maybe like a pitcher at some point, probably like Luis Avalon, hopefully if Coop can fix him up, keep his ERA low, strikeout total high. You know, you, the reason you sign these veteran guys, these offseason like relievers, you know, like they went and signed uh, Bruce Rondon from the Tigers, who has been nothing but trash since he got called up, but was pretty hyped up at the beginning of his career. You know, you want to see if like Coop can, you know, work his magic on these guys and if he can turn them into something. No one ever saw, you know, uh, Swarzak turning into anybody or um, it's really escaped me right now and I'm going to hate myself for it. Um, uh, <laughs> I sound like the worst White Sox fan ever right now. Tommy Canley. <laughs> Tommy Coop had a great year last year. Absolutely A phenomenal year. So, like, Coop goes and he turns around these guys, and you want to see if he can do it again. And it's always neat to see in the offseason. So that's what I think we'll see. And I really, really do think that if we're tanking, one of Abreu or Avi Garcia go. One or the other. I don't think both of them go. I think it's more so Avi Garcia is going to go. And then Abreu will stick around because you can maybe get something from Garcia if he's an all-star again. You know, that's, gonna de- that's absolutely going to depend on his play, though. If he comes out like he has every other year besides 2017, Avi Garcia might not be movable. You know, exactly. it, there's if you look at some of the free agents this offseason, and, and we haven't even touched on how you know interesting this offseason has been. Where's the market for a guy like Avi Garcia? I mean, and that's yet to be established. But if Carlos Gonzalez, you know, one of the best pure hitters, in my opinion, in all of baseball over the past, you know, few years outside of last year, slumped one year, just could not get a contract anywhere. And he's back with Colorado now. But if he couldn't even get a contract or even looked at by anybody, even as a DH role in the American League. Who's going to want to take Avi? You know, what, 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 what's that going to look like, you know, come, you know, June, July? What's that market going to look like? Because who's to say that there's, you know, not other options that are more feasible than, than an Avi Garcia? If, if, that's why I bring up Nikki Delmonico as a trade candidate. You know, Nikki's young. You know, Avi's still young too, but – I'd rather take a flyer on a Nicky Delmonico and the price is probably going to be lower than an Avi Garcia and they might perform somewhat near each other. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Avi Garcia and what the Sox want to do. I I think he's, he's got a chance to get re-signed by them for a long-term deal. Like you mentioned, they, they give, they give money out to some good players and they get them on good deals. You wonder if Avi can get signed for cheap and stick around and, and maybe a DH role long-term for the White Sox. I don't know if that DH role turns into to Jose Abreu's job, but I don't think that we really have uh, a, a long-term DH at this point in time uh, figured out for, for the next few years. 
Yeah, honestly, the DH has always, but I think it's been an issue for the last couple of years with the White Sox. So hopefully, I they can fix that out here in the I, future. I don't think Matt Davidson is the answer long term. I know he's had a good spring, and you you touched on this earlier in the podcast. Uh, that strikeout rate still scares me. Uh, maybe he can turn it around and, and prove me wrong, but uh, I think that Matt Davidson, this might be his last year. Um, he's at that age. I, I was about to say the same thing. Um, yeah, he's he's you know at that age where he's no longer a prospect. He's no longer you know given those kind of chances that you get with a prospect. I think he needs to prove it this year. And if he doesn't, he's gone. Yeah. He's also tradable. I mean, you're basically expendable if you're not under the age of 25 <laughs> and don't have a movie service time. Well, again, I go back to what I said about Avi. If if Avi's not tradable, I don't think Matt Davidson's tradable. And I think Matt Davidson might find himself as a career minor leaguer, even with the home runs and even with the power that he has, he could be a career minor league guy. And that just might be what he ends up being. But that's neither here nor there right now. He obviously has the chance. He's been killing it this spring so far. We'll give him the chance to go opening day in that DH role and we'll see what happens. I mean, he can also play a little bit of third base. He could fill in at first for, I was going to say, if Delmonico's not ready to go by opening day, you'll probably see Davidson at third and probably like maybe Larry Garcia or Ryan Cordell out left. Well, we're also forgetting one guy, uh, Yolmer Sanchez. That's true. He, he's probably going to be the opening day third base starter. And with that you said, gets I think Yolmer gets not. With that said, let's let's take That's this another step. Let's another, take another step further here. What's your opening day lineup? All right. That one's tricky. You sound like you've given it some thought, so I might defer to you to start. Actually, no, let's come back to that. While we're on the um, subject of uh, who's going to get traded first, who do you think is going to get called up first? Like, Who do you think is going to make it out of the minors first? Uh, I'm going Kopech on that one. Uh, I, I think that they're gonna. I think they're gonna pull the, the Chris Bryant and, uh, you know, make sure that they get past, you know, all of the you know contractual obligations with him, so we get the extra service. year of control, service time, super two, all that stuff, kind of like they did with Moncada last year. But I think he goes to AAA. I think he absolutely destroys AAA, and you know. We're waiting for him, and Rick Hines going to play it slow, you know, give it that time, and then he's the first one up. Obviously, that needs to leave some room for you know a minor call up due to an injury, but I think the first big name that really comes up this year is Kopech. I don't I think it's say. I don't think it's going to be Eloy, and I'll give you my reasons why with Eloy. They've really yeah. slow played him. And said that he's not ready, and I think he, I think he's probably the best hitter in the White Sox organization. But 
they really want him to develop into being their long-term star. I think that a lot of this rebuild really actually centers around Eloy Jimenez. And they're not going to take that chance of bringing him up and having him go directly into a slump. Because I think that that would, that would really be off-putting for Eloy. But I think having him in the minor leagues and, and, and in a wait, while they don't really know what they're going to do it with this year. I mean, we've touched on this a few times already. We're not really set up to compete, but yet we're good enough to maybe squeak in. I don't think they want to waste any time with Eloy up in the majors if they don't have to. So keeping him down until maybe a September call-up, I think is feasible for this year for them. If they're in a position where they're going to compete, he comes up. I I think that you know if we're hovering around 500 in June, you know Eloy gets fast tracked. But I don't, I don't think that, you know, even when they say this guy's going to push the envelope and, you know, force Rick's hand to call him up, I don't think they do until the organization's ready. I don't think this is about how Eloy performs because I think if he's starting on opening day, I think he's probably still hitting the same as he would in double A. Um, that's just my take on that. But I, I'm curious to see who you have as your first call up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's really a 50-50, like between Jimenez and Kopech, and I'm probably going to side with you on Kopech, just because I've, every start of him in the minors is a waste, in my opinion. You know, he's proved the velocity. I know he needs to work on his changeup and his control, but I think he can do that at the major league level. He's proven it a little bit this spring training. You know, he got roughed up, and I think it was really cool that when he got roughed up, he like he quoted the tweet, and said uh, they they brought it up on uh, Redline Radio. Actually, they quoted the tweet, and uh, he said that like you know what, good. I'm glad that I made a mistake. You know, I'm going to learn from this, and that's really cool to see. You know that they're they're being accountable. You know, these are some young guys. These are, you know some of these dudes are younger than you. Some of these dudes are younger than me. So, I think Kopech's really going to make a big difference. I think he's going to get called up first. I also think that, um, you know, you're, you're probably going to see, like, I mean, what I was thinking is Abreu gets hurt. Who do you really have to play first base? Matt Davidson? Matt Davidson. Right. I think you're probably going to see. But do you, do you see Casey Gillespie get called up? I mean, potentially, you know? but more as a bench role. I don't think that he's calling up and playing every day. Yeah. And honestly, you know, if there's an injury in the outfield, you might see Charlie Tilson make his way up. You might see so, Charlie Tilson or you might see Ryan Cordell. Yeah, I honestly think Cordell's going to make the opening day lineup. You think Cordell's going to make the opening day lineup? All right, then give me your opening day lineup. <laughs> Back to this. Okay, so are we going to do batting order or just like positions? So let's, batting do, order be- let's, let's do batting order and position because I'm already getting this prepared. Okay. So position-wise, obviously, we know James Shields is going to be a pitcher. Uh, Castillo being a catcher is probably set in stone. Obviously, uh, that's another thing that's interesting. Is are they going to both? Are they going to keep three catchers? What, what's going to happen between Kevin Smith and Omar Narvaez? Is that kind of been a little competition that's been playing out before us that we don't even really pay attention to? You know, it it, it probably actually is, uh, but I think Smith goes down uh, to AAA. You know it. I don't yeah. think that there's really a need to carry three catchers into, into opening day. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so we're going to do, uh, obviously, Abreu at first, Mankata at second, Timmy at short. I think Matt Davidson gets a start at third. I can see where you're getting Yomer from. I don't think Yomer's an opening day guy. You know, Yomer's that spark. Yomer's that, that, that hype guy, that energy guy that you need off the bench. You don't need him off the bench, but you need him to come in that day when it's like you've already played three games and everybody's tired as hell. And you got that one dude that's just loaded with energy. Those like two for four and scores both the runs that your team puts on the board that game, you know? Yomer's that kind of guy. So I think he's a great utility guy. I think having him and Larry Garcia on the roster together is pretty interesting because they can both play like a load of positions. Uh, right field, Avi Garcia. Center field, this is interesting. <laughs> uh, my very first article for uh, Chicago Sports Nation was actually, I don't know if you read it or not, it was um, who I thought was going to be the opening day center fielder. And I picked Larry Garcia basically based off of offensive usage and like his offensive stats, but his, his defensive um, wins above replacement was solid. His fielding percentage was solid and he had almost double the on-base percentage as Adam Angle was last year. So that's why I rolled with that, but I'm going to have to go with Adam Angle in center. And then in left field, if Delmonico is healthy, Delmonico, but if he's not, don't be surprised if you see Ryan Cordell. Or Larry Garcia in left field. All right. I'm going to give you my batting order, too, here. Uh, and this is this is my take on this. I can, I can do batting order, too, if you want me to. Well, I'll give you mine, and then we'll see we'll see how this matches up. Uh, All right, cool. I mean, I've got Mankata leading off at second base, uh, followed, followed by Tim Anderson at short. Uh, and then I've got Abreu at first in the three-hole. Garcia batting cleanup in right field, followed by Castillo at catcher. Obviously, Wellington's going to get that start. Uh, and then I've got Davidson following that up at DH. I've got Yolmer starting at third base, Delmonico in left, and then Engel bringing up the rear in the center field. Uh, don't at me. That's the, that's the starting lineup. All right, so I had a brain fart. And I didn't include a DH in my lineup. And that totally changes the face. But I'm actually going to probably put Tyler Saladino if he's back from his uh, concussion scare. By opening day, I'll put him in that DH spot. Is Tyler, and that's how sad. That's is, how sad. Is, is Tyler Saladino really an opening day DH on a major league roster? <laughs> is James Shields an opening day pitcher on a major league? Like, look where we're at right now. This so is, I mean, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't know. Uh, he played DH a couple times last year. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I know so, those were those were really really great games to watch. I mean, it really brought yeah, fans out so to the ballpark. Yeah, who's DH today? Oh, Saladino. Yep. Oh, dope. Yeah. Hey, so. I mean, it's it's better than the days that we had Brent Morrell playing third base. I mean, those were. The most exciting times in the White Sox. You remember when? Uh, you remember when Gordon Beckham and Connor Gillespie just like straight collided into each other? Yes. So it was like two, that was two of our like promising prospects of back in the day. So like, let's hope that doesn't happen again. Uh, batting order for me, I would probably have to go Angle to lead off. I think Ricky's that guy. I really do. I don't think he cares about. 
you know, I think he really just wants that speed. I think he's going to play the, the just basic demographic and just follow along with everybody and just put the center fielder. Not everybody, because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different leadoff hitters nowadays, but I really think he's just going to put Adam Engel in that one spot. I think Mankata is our two guy. I really do. I think Tim Anderson's going to be at the bottom. I think he's going to be like seven or eight. I really do. Maybe six. But um, you're going to see probably Abreu in the three spot and then Avi in the four spot. They did that pretty often last year. Uh, I think Castillo's our fifth guy. I think he's going to stay in that fifth spot the whole season. So I think that's actually going to bring a lot of um, solidness to the core of the order, which is actually, that's going to be overlooked. I promise you. Um, he gets on base a lot for a catcher. Oh yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm really looking forward to seeing Castillo. Yeah, like when they when they pulled the trigger on that, I was like, okay, we're cooking. They they did that early too. That was one of like the first moves of the off season. I'm pretty sure it was. It was, and for a slow off season, you know, that was a yeah. really big signing, real quick from Rick Hahn. And, and yeah, that was and again. We're we're getting back to the steam of, you know, what are the Sox doing this year? Are they competing or are they trying to tank? And I, I think we're gonna we're I think we're gonna follow that theme through the next few podcasts, and you might see a blog post come out on that. Um, I kind of hinted at it in my first one, and I, I don't mean to steal your thunder here in the middle of your lineup, but this, this is starting to follow a theme here. Yeah. No, and yeah, you never know because at the end of last year, you figure you know they let the Tigers sneak in. And now the Tigers are picking ahead of them in the draft. You know, they didn't take, they didn't care about the draft pick really. It was the way I looked at it. Them having one of the best records in the American League in the last month. I think they finished like sixth best record in the American League in the last month last year. So they were like right in the middle of the pack. They could have been in the bottom of the pack where they were the whole year, but they weren't. So, you know, I think they will start to try and turn it around. They're going to try. You know, you don't feel the baseball team to not try. And exactly. baseball is one of the sports where, you know, you can get one thing to go this way and another thing to go this way. You play small ball one game and, you know, get a couple errors another game. And, you know, you're right there in the division race in July. Exactly. So, uh, I think I left off that, like, I think I was at, I think Wellington Castillo at five. I will put Matt Davidson at six and then Tim Anderson at seven. But that's that's not how I would put it. That's how I think it's going to be. Like, obviously, I wouldn't put Matt Davidson that high, but he's normally, like, hovers around that six spot. Uh, Eight, you will probably see... I'm going to miss him here. Uh, Saladino at DH is probably where I'd slide him in. And then nine will be whoever is playing left. You know, that really changes... If Delmonico plays, it really does. Obviously, that whole lineup gets shredded, but I don't think Delmonico is going to play in the first game. So, what happens is the nine guy is going to be probably like Larry Garcia or Ryan Cordell or something. That's a that's a very hot take lineup there, especially with Tyler Saladino. Uh, in at DH, uh, I just I like your enthusiasm for a guy like Tyler Saladino, but I, I think that uh, 
I think they have a few other options there at DH. Uh, I think they, I think they do, but like, what really do they have? I mean, Yomer. You could put Yomer at DH. You could put. Yomer is the same as, I mean, he's not the same, but same type of player. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. That's true. I just don't think, I don't think Tyler Saladino really even makes the club. I mean, what, what role does he uh, really have outside of a backup shortstop? Uh, I think they keep him on. You think they keep Tyler Saladino on? I think they, I think they're going to keep mostly what we saw the end, at the end of the year last year. Well, like I'm pretty sure that's going to be like 80% of what we see. You're going to see like a couple of different names. The bullpen's going to look obviously pretty different. I hope I don't see like Juan Mania or Gregory Infante anytime soon. But you never know. Chris Beck, stay away. Well, Chris Beck was actually my my least favorite White Sox of last year. Uh, it <laughs> looks it looks like it looks like uh, Nicky Delmonico. Uh, the MRI came out clean. He had a partial shoulder separation. Yeah, uh, but um, it said that he was supposed to be back in the lineup this weekend. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the injury report, and it says that Saladino's a for sure go for opening day, and that Delmonico is still questionable. They want him to get um, game action. So, yeah, I guess we'll know more after this weekend, and maybe by the time we record our next podcast, I'll definitely change it if I know more. Well, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's something that we'll we'll follow, and as opening day gets closer, maybe maybe our starting day lineups get uh, get changed up a little bit. But uh, now, one last question for you, John. While I while we're while we're here, uh, who would you go with if you were Ricky Renteria as your opening day starter outside of James Shields? Uh, hit me with that. <laughs> See, you want to say Giolito, and I think that's what a lot of people would say. But Giolito in that first start, opening day, you know, then all the nerves are going to be there. He's a kid. He's still a kid. He's still learning. So you can't push him into that sort of pressure yet. I don't think Giolito is ever really going to be an opening day starter. So, I mean, if there was a window for it, this year was the year, really. Because next year it's going to be Rodon or Kopech, you know. So, I, I mean, maybe Miggy, <laughs> but like you can't go Hector Santiago. It's not his team. You can't go Ronaldo Lopez. He has less of a build than Giolito does. So, I mean, it was really between, in my opinion, probably Miguel Gonzalez and James Shields. And since James Shields didn't get shipped away for a month or two last year and actually stayed on the roster the whole time, luckily. <laughs> I think that's why he got the nod. I think it's more so a seniority thing at this point, really, with Ricky, and he wants, like, a leader. So I think if James Shields isn't going to go out there and lead with his play, he's definitely got to be a voice. And that shows me that James Shields kind of is a voice, the fact that he is our opening day starter, and he had, like, almost a 5 ERA last year. That also shows me much. Well, who are you going with outside of James Shields? I guess is my question. Are you going Miggy? Is that is that final no, answer? Go, Miggy is the opening go. day starter without James Shields. I would go Miggy. Yeah. 
All right, Miguel Gonzalez is your take. I'm going to go also with Miguel Gonzalez. Uh, I liked what he showed last year. You were right. He did get shipped away for a month. Uh, But I think that Miguel Gonzalez has that kind of makeup that he can make it through uh, an opening day start. And let's be honest, we're playing in Kansas City on the road opening day. Uh, Let's line it up and make Giolito your number four or, you know, Line it up so that Giolito starts the first game at home. That's all I really care about. And I'm really interested. I don't. I don't know if that'll line up because I'm really interested to see how the pitching rotation is going to play out. And we could actually do a prediction for that too if you wanted to. Because who does go number two in your opinion? Is it going to be Giolito or is it going to be Gonzalez? Uh, I think it does go to Giolito. I think you go Shields, then you go Giolito, you go then Miguel yes. Gonzalez, and then I think you go. You know, either Reynaldo Lopez or Hector Santiago uh, in the back two, and those those are you know obviously interchangeable. But yeah, I think that uh, Lopez is going to be the fourth guy, no no doubt, because that fifth guy has got to kind of be able to be rotated out. You know, they make that fifth guy able to like like for the off days, and like if there's an injury, it's easy to rotate that fifth guy out. It's a lot easier to rotate the odd man out than like someone in the middle of the rotation. Um, it always depends on where you are at the rotation when the injury or whatever happens, but it normally works out a lot better if it's that fifth guy that you're interchanging. Um, well, I if, think the way, if it lines up and Giolito is the number two, he will I make the home opening start as yeah. it looks right here on April 5th against Detroit. Uh, yeah. That would be interesting. I think. Little, uh, little early April uh, Giolito Michael Fulmer action. What do you say? Yeah, that would be absolutely fantastic to watch. I'm planning on gonna, uh, being at that game, uh, so I'm hoping that's the pitching matchup. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think I'm going to that Saturday just judging game. With you know the luck that I get, it'll be you know probably James Shields starting that game as well somehow. <laughs> I think I'm going to that Saturday Dude, game and I couldn't get work off for that Friday. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're doing like a, a giveaway for this uh, quarter zip pullover. So that'll be nice. It's always cool to see what the Sox do. They always do these nice giveaways, especially at the beginning of the season to try and draw cards. So. Well, I think we all absolutely need to get out there for the uh, Hawk solo bobblehead that they're giving away this year. Uh, that's that's my go-to game that I'm going to try and Star make Wars it to. Night, right? Yeah, Star Wars. absolutely. Star Wars night. Can't wait for Hawk Solo Bobblehead. I don't know if you've seen the picture of it, but uh, if you haven't, go look it up. Uh, the thing looks pretty sweet. Looks like we're we're at about an hour here. We're gonna we're gonna end this podcast. John, any closing thoughts? Uh, no. Uh. Sox won today. They beat the Dodgers five to two. They have about like I think like six or seven more games in Cactus League play, and then they got like one against the Knights, and then it's showtime. So we're gonna try and hopefully do one more podcast before opening day. I'd like to. So we'll try and make that happen for you guys. Um, other than that, thanks for tuning in to Shy Sox Weekly and Go White Sox. Welcome.